That song always impresses me. I don't know how you hold your breath that long. <laughs> Be able to get that much music out of your lungs. That's, that's pretty amazing. Well, we are right in the middle of it, aren't we? Christmas carols, Ave Maria already today. God, you know, all these wonderful carols that we'll be singing. And, you know, Christmas not till Tuesday, Wednesday, right? Christmas Eve. But we're in the middle of it. You've been listening to carols on the radio? Tuning into that channel that does it 24 hours a day? If you're in Walter's car, that's what you're listening to. I was lucky this year I got to get an early Christmas present. He ordered the Pentatonix acapella Christmas version for me. And I've been listening to those songs to and from church and enjoying their new arrangements. And I've fallen in love with the little drummer boy all over again. Just a beautiful, beautiful recommend, um, arrangement of that very familiar song. And as I got that early Christmas present, I remembered of a time earlier in my life when I got an er another early Christmas present, which was unusual in my family, because Christmas is always Christmas Day morning, not Christmas Eve, but Christmas Day morning is our tradition. We can fight about that if you want, but no reason, you know, no reason. So on this one particular Christmas, it was the year that my family formed, where my mom and my dad got married. I was 12 years old, and they got married in October. And I got a new sister, Elizabeth, to join with my sister, <coughs> Terry, and I. And so it was our first Christmas together as family, first time we were able to do this. And so my, my two sisters now said, we've got a special gift for you. We want you to open on Christmas Eve. And so I thought I was hot stuff. Especially, no one else was getting a present on Christmas Eve, just me. You know, that made me feel pretty, pretty special. And so we had been doing the Christmas things the first time together. And... We were making memories, we put up the tree, the kids were responsible, so the three of us were having a hard time because the tree branches were popping off the ornaments and they were shattering, but we were covering for one another. You know, when I broke one, Terry would push it under the tree. When she broke one, Elizabeth would be there. You know, we were already conspiring against mom and dad. We'd only been a family for three months at that time, but children learn how to work together. And so we were doing these wonderful things to create new memories in our home and what it meant to be family together. And so with excitement, we went to that Christmas Eve service, lit our candles, sang Go Tell It on the Mountain, came home, and I got to open my presents. And so they very excited. They brought me in front of the Christmas tree and handed me the gift, and I started ripping open the bows. I'm not a, I'm not a clean unwrapper. I'm a teared-up unwrapper. If you're at our house on, Sunday mor on Christmas morning, you know, it's done by 4 a.m., you start at 3.50, you know, it's done by 4, done by 4. Then you take a nap and you come back. But so on that Christmas Eve, I took the special present that my new sister and my familiar sister gave to me, Terry and Elizabeth, and I excitedly got into it. And as I got into it, I opened it up. I, it, was, it was heavy, so I was excited. It must be something really, really good and substantial. And I looked inside, and it was a box of rocks. So 12-year-old Troy just started crying. <laughs> Box of rocks. And, and then they had meant to have fun and, and laugh, and we were going to celebrate this joke. And instead, they were started crying because I was crying. So our first plumber family Christmas together, 12-year-old Troy, 10-year-old Terry, 9-year-old uh, Elizabeth are sitting in front of the Christmas tree around a box of rocks crying our first family Christmas together. First family Christmas together. I know you probably have some memories you can share of Christmas, both that make you remember good times and challenging times. 
you know, times that were too busy to really know what Christmas was about, other times that might have been too sad to really experience God's love come anew in the world, but we hit this time every year of what God is doing new in the world in our lives and in our families, you know, and I can still remember crying just over a box of rocks, you know, well, to be 12 again, huh, to be 12 again. I think when Jesus was 12, he was in the temple impressing the scholars, right? Troy's crying, so big difference there. One of the things I've been doing to get myself ready for Christmas is watching old movies. And I told you a couple weeks ago about watching all the dysfunctional family Christmas movies. That was my theme that week. This week I watched all the sappy Hallmark Christmas movies. So the one where you get a new home for Christmas, uh, you get a new boyfriend for Christmas, or a new mom for Christmas, or a new dad. So whatever the emptiness is in your life for Christmas, it's filled up because, you know, we, everything's going to happen. All the joys of the world at one moment are going to happen on Christmas Day. Think that's a little bit of expectation? Yeah. One of the old traditional ones I love, Miracle on 34th Street even. You know, the one where Natalie Wood makes her debut as the young star actor in that, you know. She's there, and what does she ask for? Do you remember? She asks for that home for Christmas. You know? And that's what my Christmas had been like at 12, the first time in her house. We lived in apartments before then. She wants a home. And with the home, she gets a dad in this story of the Miracle on 34th Street. We put so much pressure on ourselves that everything in the world will be corrected, will be made right on this moment in time. And I want to tell you, sometimes that doesn't happen and it just feels like a box of rocks. You know, it can just feel like that. I don't know if you remember last week when we talked about Mary and hearing that good word, you know, and Mary saying yes with courage out of her own voice, but she must have wondered what kind of box of rocks she had opened. What was going to happen in her life now? It was going to be different. Who was she joining in this journey that God was taking her on? She didn't know yet. She had just said yes to this new thing. And Matthew, the teller we've been looking at the Gospels through this Christmas season, Matthew wants us to experience this birth of Jesus and the story of Jesus' life as the whole of Israel's life told again. So Matthew tells it in a particular way. And there's signs throughout this that we can lift up for you to see where Matthew is saying, see, Jesus is all of us. Jesus is the culmination of our whole history together. And one of the ways he does it with Mary is he puts in a genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And if you look at it, it is the only place where there's so many women's names in one time in the Bible. There's five of them right there together, and that's pretty unusual. And so talking about who Jesus is, five important women are in the list of folks in the scripture. And they're interesting women, too, because they're not the kind of women you would expect to be in King David's heritage or in Jesus's heritage necessarily. You know, the first one that's in there is Tamar. Tamar was a widow who was supposed to be married off to one of the brothers, and they didn't happen. So Tamar dressed herself up as a prostitute, and she went and sat inside the, in, in front of the city so that when the person who was supposed to have married her actually gets lured in and makes her pregnant, she figured out how to make him do the right thing, even though he wasn't willing to. So Tamar is in this wonderful list of women. Figured out how to be a little bit flexible with the law and figured out how to make the right thing happen, even though 
the father wasn't willing. You know, after Tamar, we get Rahab in the list. Y'all remember Rahab and her crimson cord? She's the prostitute who helps them, helps the armies have a bloodless battle. Rahab, this wonderful creature in the scripture. Wow, stepping out on her own, doing something a little different, hiding the enemy in her own home and therefore becoming a part of this lineage. We go from Tamar and Rahab, we keep going and we get Ruth. Y'all remember Ruth? You know, Ruth was that Moabite woman that Moabite woman who made Boaz do the right thing. She met him on the threshing floor, conquered him, and in the conquering, then beget the line that then comes to David and later comes to Jesus. So you get a clue of who these women are? These are women who've done what was necessary, <coughs> what was necessary to make sure the right thing got done. These are women who did this at a time in the history of the people where something new had to happen. And people around them weren't letting that creation be born. And so the fourth woman on that list is, is not even her whole name's in there. They call her the wife of Uriah. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Bathsheba is the fourth woman on the list before Mary. So I don't know you, but Mary might be saying, I don't know if I'm that rock or not. This box of rocks, if you go from someone who pretended to be a prostitute to someone who was a prostitute to someone who conquered a strange man so that she could have the right kind of son for, to another one who did all these wonderful, crazy things that kind of bent the law, you know, in order to make the right thing happen. So this is the line that Mary's name comes in in Matthew in the genealogy. All these places where women had taken the people of Israel where they needed to go when others weren't doing the right thing. Well, I don't know about you, if I was Mary and I was thinking, wow, is that a proud lineage or is that a box of rocks? But she is the mother of Jesus. I don't know what that felt like for her that day when that angel came and she said yes and wondered what was next, having to go beyond the letter of the law. Well, this week we get to Joseph, and Joseph says yes, but not at first. He's betrothed to Mary, and as he's betrothed to Mary, he's making great wedding plans, this wonderful life they're going to have together, and then the way they put it in the scripture, Mary is just found pregnant. As a gay man, I don't understand that. <laughs> found pregnant. Walter and I did say if we were going to ever have any kids, we would be found pregnant, <laughs> you know. And for us, that meant if any of our nieces had children that they couldn't take care of or any other family members if needed a home, that we would take care of them. Being found pregnant, we would be fathers in that situation if need be. But so Joseph, new betrothed, is found pregnant. So he makes up his mind to put her away discreetly. Have you ever been put away discreetly? <laughs> Have you ever been swept under the carpet like you weren't really there? Have your story not told because it would have been too ugly for people to hear it or think it was too ugly? Put away discreetly doesn't sound very violent, but what it does is it pretty much negates the person who's being put away. They aren't real. They aren't whole. They aren't worth their name being spoken. Or the story told. So 
So Joseph makes these plans. And lo and behold, in the middle of the night, he has a dream. And in that dream, the angel says, don't be afraid. Go ahead, Mary, Mary. And so he does. I don't know, this story gets a little confusing to me because he says uh, something about the name Emmanuel and Jesus. And I don't know how he's supposed to name Jesus, Emmanuel and Jesus at the same time. Maybe Emmanuel is his middle name. Jesus, Emmanuel, Christ. Not really. So Joseph bends the law. He had the law on his side. He could have put Mary away. He had the right, he had the power. You know people who have the law on their side? We have families that struggle to be together against those who have the law on their side. We are a people who knows what it's like to have the books stacked against you, the deck just too full, and to have to try and get folks to bend the law because the law is wrong and to go ahead and do the right thing. You ever been caught between doing the right thing and following the law or following a convention? following something so that someone's not embarrassed and that maybe you get swept under the carpet discreetly. So Joseph decides to do the right thing and get Mary, Mary. In the musical this past week, there was a wonderful song in the middle of it. Two boys have come out to their parents. I would have recommended a better time for them to come out. <laughs> they come out before the big football game. Uh, when everyone's at home and, uh, and one of them's playing on the, in the game, you know, I, I, there's just better strategy than that when you come out to your parents. But so as a result, there's this battle that goes on in song in the musical between you're right, you're wrong, you know, I've been taught this, it's against the law, you know, and the other one being, well, I don't understand, but I love you. And so then the next song they come to is the two fathers are still trying to make sense of this. And so they sing the song to their two sons. And the song, it has to do with, you know, you're my son and I love you and I don't understand this and I'm afraid this is my last chance. And in the song, they come to be where they can have more than one chance. It's not a last chance. But I think of our folks and our people. When I saw them singing and I saw people crying while the song was being sung, I knew that deep within us, there's that longing that longing for the parent's love, not just our biological, but our heavenly parent's love that says, oh, so many chances, so many chances over and over again, another chance. But right there in the musical, touching their hearts so deeply, wanting to have another chance. Well, I don't know about you, but I think Joseph got that box of rocks and decided he could use it for good, decided to go ahead and do the right thing. When my mother first learned that Matthew and Luke told the stories of Jesus' birth differently, uh, I was already a clergy person at that time, and she came home and she said, Troy, tell me what this person's trying to teach me about these stories being different and not quite matching. And she said, I don't want to know all that stuff. I just want it to be simple and sweet. And I said, oh, Mom, the birth of Jesus has never been simple and certainly never been sweet. If it's sweet, it's only because we've sanitized it. Jesus was born right into a box of rocks, into a time and a place where God said, I am going to meet you here, right on the margins, with people you don't expect, 
all those women in Mary's lineage that no one expected to God be in and working through. This new Mary, I'm going to work right here. So mom is distressed. She didn't like that. And I said, okay, mom, what about this box of rocks? She felt like that's what that Bible teacher had given her. Let's look at them. Let's look at them. What else can a box of rocks be? It can be the very building blocks of the kingdom. It can be the truth and the life and the way. If you look at what people are trying to say and call Christ in your heart as you do it. So that box of rocks I was given that Christmas a long time ago, and I can tell the story now, you know, you may cry about it, but at the same time, they were building blocks. They were building blocks for a new family. They were building blocks for a new history together. And Joseph and Mary took those building blocks and did what God asked them to. My mother trained her faith story into a new way and got deeper into her faith. You know, it didn't disturb her anymore that Jesus was also Joshua in the Hebrew scripture. And that Joshua was the one who took them into their home. That Jesus was the one that takes us into our home. Didn't bother her anymore. She let it overflow her with what the people of Matthew were trying to say about Jesus being all of Israel and one. When I named the sermon Doing the Right Thing, I was actually thinking of Do the Right Things, Spike Lee's movie, Do the Right Thing. Uh, but you know, this white people, we get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> I put do the right, doing the right thing. He's in, he's working as Mookie in a restaurant, an Italian restaurant in the neighborhood. And this is Mookie and Saul. And if you look behind them, Saul, there's a wall of pictures. And that wall of pictures in this Italian restaurant is all the Italian heroes that are on the wall. So the world has changed a little bit since this restaurant has been there. And it's now in primarily an African-American neighborhood. And in this neighborhood, people have claimed it as theirs. People have claimed it as their family, community place where they go. And so someone asks Saul, why isn't there any pictures of any black people on your wall? And he starts to talk about how it's Italian and all these other things. And so people start to get upset. Why can't you put Martin Luther King Jr. up on your wall? And Saul starts to tell his history. And what Saul's not hearing, what he's not hearing is, we consider this place our place. We want to not be swept under the carpet here. We want you to put our face on the wall too. And as the story keeps unfolding, violence erupts because people aren't hearing one another and a young person dies and the restaurant is destroyed you know, because people couldn't hear one another. Then there's a moment at the end of the movie where the two main characters are sitting together in a bunch of rubble because the restaurant's destroyed. Yeah. And they have reconciliation that they can be family together in that place. And with all that rubble that's around them, all those rocks, they can build a new family together. So in doing the right thing, finally, they do the right thing. And they hear one another and the joy and the hope that they could be community as one. <coughs> Doesn't happen until all that pain has gone through and recognized and heard. And then they're built up again. Boy, I don't know about your families and if you ever feel like you've gotten a box of rocks. Or what you're going home to this Christmas season. You may already be through all that stuff. 
I recommend you don't come out if it's before the big game. <laughs> but if you are coming out this Christmas season, I want you to know that whatever it feels like, God's going to be with you right in the middle of it. Whoever else in your family is having a difficulty or a challenge and maybe coming out as Christian for the first time, you know, it might be hard for them. You are there to help them do that. These are the building blocks of our faith. Right in the middle of these moments of Advent where in the dark we say light comes. Out of a box of rocks, God builds the kingdom. And we are a part of it. So I ask you this Christmas Eve. Let Christ come in anew. And as Christ comes in anew to choose to follow the law that is love. Whether you're bending other rules or not, God's right there with you, working to make it happen. Amen. Amen.